This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Ayo, you know we're back on our J-O. It's Spooko, guys. It's super fun. Um, uh, SS, it's a pair of consonants that have had a bad reputation since about 1938, 1939. So that's a bit awkward. Then Spit Syndicate came along and sort of, you know, resuscitated things with the rap scene. And today I had lunch at Simulation Senpai, which is a really cool, like, sushi spot shake that I think you might have told me about. So... SS, uh, the graph is tracking from very, very, very not good in the 1930s and 1940s. That just gets better and better. Like, so, you know, we are indeed back on our J.O. Shag, how are you? Well, in terms of this episode, mm. starting low on this graph mm. of uh, almost referencing the SS. <laughs> <laughs> But then rising up to excitement, this is where I am because I'm mm. so psyched. Yes. We have a guest on our show that we've wanted to get on for a while, mm. but he's always so busy to the point where we're all kind of the same age. So when someone your age is way busier than you, you're like, mm. what am I doing with my life? Oh. Should, I, should I be busier? <laughs> and it's actually true because... <laughs> Because you do rate it, like, because busyness means other people think you're important. So if you're busy, other people are saying you are important. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Well, look, let me introduce our guest, Mm. uh, a good friend of ours who knows a lot more about film than we do. So Mm. always a pleasure to have an expert on the show. Yeah, it took us a while to find someone who knows more about film than we do. So that was was good. (laughs) (laughs) He has been working in special effects in film. For close to 20 years now, I think. I think I think yep. you're getting up to your double decades. It is, uh, yeah. Originally at Animal Logic, he's since moved to be working at Industrial Light and Magic, where I imagine all his letterheads have, like, lightsabers and Yoda ears on them, which I think would be really fun. It's it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all true. Joining us on the show, visual effects supervisor, Industrial Light and Magic, Will Reichelt. Welcome to Spooker. Uh, thanks, you guys. It's so awesome to, to be here. Um, yeah, fan of the show. Um, yeah, been really looking forward to this, especially this movie. Well, yes. I mean, look, and we will get to this movie in a little bit. But first... <laughs> mm. When you Google your, and I'm not saying like you Google your name all the time, but when you do Google your name, weirdly, the first thing that doesn't come up, come up isn't visual effects supervisor, it's film actor. Yes. Now, if anyone has... Us, can you tell us where that is? Ah, uh, yeah. Anyone who's hearing a familiar voice, it's going to be, <laughs> um, it's going to be informative. Well, I guess I had the opportunity to, um, to do some voice acting on... Uh, a film that I worked on a couple of years ago called Peter Rabbit, um, where... Oh, uh, that's such a humble brag. Oh, this <laughs> tiny little film. No one's heard of it. James, James Corden, Corden. Is in it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, continue, Will. Um, yeah, I, um, uh, because I was in and around uh, the edit department kind of as they were putting together the film, 
um, the director was looking for people. It's a film full of animated characters, and the director was looking for people to do scratch voices, basically, to kind of um, tempt the film before the real actors come in and they they do the voices for real. Um, so that you, you kind of put the film up on blocks, basically, and, and um, uh, see how it plays first, and then you then you get the real talent in to kind of uh, make it all sound good. And um, so I was doing uh, just because I, I was around, I was just in there doing voices for. Um, for the different characters. And then one day the director, Will Gluck, came up with this idea for a new character um, who was a, ro a rooster um, who was um, very excited, you might say, about the sun coming up in the movie. <laughs> um, so um, he asked me to do a to, to just do a voice for it. He didn't really know what the voice should be, so he just said, just try something. So I did a, I did a voice, and just the brief was, you're very excited. Uh, about about the sun so i did a voice that was um kind of off the off the scales i suppose like it was just like absolute batshit kind of bonkers screaming rooster who was so excited I, I kind of was thinking about vivian from the young ones when i was <laughs> when i was doing it um so um so that's that's the voice i i, I tempted in and um he, he ended up liking it so much that he said i think we're just going to keep you in the movie um, which was yes. amazing. It was so so much fun. The sun came up again. I can't believe it. I thought when I closed my eyes last night that that was it. But we have another day of this. Wow! It's a Cinderella story, Will. It's amazing. It's so good to hear. The reason why I bring that up as well mm. is we are a horror podcast, and as we explore horror. One of the things that they try to do in horror mm. is, I guess, try to come up with new versions of hell that aren't fire and brimstone because audiences aren't scared by fire and brimstone anymore. I'm still medium. Like, I still <laughs> I, I wouldn't like it. I don't. <laughs> but your character was kind of in a weird version of hell where every single day it feared the sun going down because it thought that was the end of the world. That's a very dark character. How did you get into that headspace? Um, interesting. I've never really perceived it like that. <laughs> uh, I've never thought of him as being um, trapped in a, in, a, in a hell, but um, you, you're completely right. Like he's, he, that's why he's kind of insane, I suppose. Like every day is the same. He's, he's, he's petrified that the sun's not going to come up and then incredibly surprised and, and blown away when it does. But yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really sort of try to get myself into the psychology of it quite so much as, uh, as just try to sort of work. It was more of a physical than a mental um, exercise, I would say, because like doing the voice really, because I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not a very fit person. Uh, I, don't, I don't exercise a lot, um, I, I will say. But um, yeah, it, like do, screaming at the top of your lungs, try screaming at the top of your lungs for an hour. Um, oh, and then see how you feel because um, it's, uh, it's, it's somewhat of a workout. So um, plus also try doing it uh, with a voice coach standing next to you trying to make sure that you're screaming in an English accent. <laughs> okay, well, well we, well, we might ask you to do the voice a little later. But right now, right now, I think it's time for us to dive into this film. Peach, you've heard a little bit about this film from listening to other podcasts Ugh, about it. I have listened to a spoiler cast about it. it, it do, you, do you know about the movie? I think I do. I think I do. Okay. For, for anybody who doesn't, mm. you're in for a wild ride. Even if you do, I'm super excited to have someone who understands visual effects in a film 
that has the wildest horror effects I've seen in a long, long time. Today, we are doing James Wan's recent cult masterpiece, Malignant. Come away. I'm having visions. of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders as they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? Imaginary friend? He's the devil. I watched the trailer and you know how algorithms are sort of like the devil holding up a mirror <laughs> to what you really like um so i pop into youtube now and because all i use youtube for is to watch is to do this podcast and a couple of other things the only shit i get served by the algorithm is like really like scary and gross like horror inflicted stuff um, it's like highlights of cricket matches from the late 1970s and early 1980s. <laughs> and it's like really fucking intense, shitty, like business motivation-y bullshit. And it's sort of like, well, if I've got three limbs to my personality, being scared of horror films, <laughs> fucking stupid, weird, motivational business bullshit and old cricket matches. Yeah, I'm not- so I break down the data of this podcast and I want to say shout out to everyone who's listening from America right now. I imagine, I imagine that cricket is the most alien thing. If somebody wanted to watch like a sick cricket highlight on YouTube that's going to be like, oh, wow, I get it now, what would they Google? Uh, oh, that's, gosh, that's such a good question. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, like Shane, the Shane Warne's 10 best bowls? Like what yeah, would you watch? I think it's the Shane Warne 1993 gadding ball, right? So, like, what you're going to see when you Google Warne, W-A-R-N-E, 1993 gatting, G-A-T-T-I-N-G ball on YouTube is you're going to see something that's a tiny, tiny bit like old-fashioned baseball. Like, if it was like ye, ye oldie English baseball, American listeners, that's sort of what 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 you what you have in mind. And there are some bowlers in cricket, you'd call them pitchers, who bowl really, really fast. And there are some who bowl really, really slow and spin it because the ball bounces in cricket. And this ball is imparted with so much spin that it swerves in one direction in a way that makes the batter sort of overbalanced to head towards the ball. And it's spinning and curving so much that it lands, it bounces, it grips the pitch on the stitching of the cricket ball. And it almost springs, leaps out of like a zombie, like jumping from the grave. It zings past the batter. And what you've got to do as a batter is make sure the ball doesn't hit these three sticks called stumps. It zings straight past the batter who's sort of overbalanced because it's been curving past him and just snicks off 
the edge of these bales. And it's the first ball this bowl's ever bowled in England, the home of cricket, and everyone just goes <laughs> fucking berserk. And the batter, like, isn't angry about it. He just has this, like, dazed look of, like, ugh, what happened? And it's probably the best moment in cricket that has ever happened. And it's really telegenic as well as the other thing. Most cricket's really, really boring and unfolds over hours and hours and hours. And this is one little moment. So I'd encourage you to go check out that one little moment. Paige, I felt like I was there. That was, that was visceral. <laughs> it was. It was such a good... I love I loved the ball, like, ripping the pitch. I loved your descriptions of the swings. And also, we should point out, Gadding, was he the captain of England? He, he was a former captain, um, and he, as well, was a good player of spin bowling, or, or for American listeners, like the slower bowling where, where, where you spin it. And this guy, Shane Warne, was, was very promising, but a tiny, tiny bit untested at the time. And so it was assumed that if anyone's going to monster him, it's going to be this hard and old English pro. And so the interesting thing is when batting, he did everything right, right? So like, like the curve, like the revs, the revs on the ball, the drift, as cricketers call it, when it curves in that wrong direction, as you can imagine, you sort of rotate your body, bringing your bat around to sort of try to follow where the ball's going was so pronounced that everything he did was technically correct, but just the spin was so vicious off the pitch that it spun straight past him and hit these three fairly small sticks that are really difficult to hit, and it's, and it's sort of what, what you try to do. And he just walks off with this expression of, like, what have I just seen? And it's one of these rare moments that I think is sort of why you watch sport, this, like, rare moments of, like, communal transcendence where everyone's like, we've just seen something that is amazing and that has transported us to another place and that's sort of how Shane Warne made you feel so like if you ever hear about this sort of bogany sort of shit bloke but sort of giant baby Shane Warne (laughs) he could make you feel things when you're watching this sport of like oh my gosh can you believe these things are being achieved it's thrilling every now and then in this show you get a little window into the friendship between Peach and I that's lasted for decades and One of my favorite parts of our friendship is the fact that I don't like sport at all, but I have always enjoyed asking Peach a cricket question and then just listening to the answer. And I'm glad you got a moment to enjoy that too, because it's always fucking thrilling. Anyway, this is Spooko. James Wan is going to get ILM for his next film to be like, uh, been listening to Spooko and I think we've got to do the Gatting Ball, the film. We'll... You can play Gatting. You can voice Gatting. Let's do all right, it. All right. No, 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 no. But we, this is Spooko. We're doing Malignant with guest host Will Reichelt. <clears throat> this film is ridiculous. Will, are you a fan of horror at all? Not, not really, I'd say. Um, I don't tend to gravitate towards horror films. But having watched this film, I might be turned around a little <laughs> bit because I was kind of nervous, I guess, that... Um, this was going to be a, 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 maybe a slog to get through or, um, or, or just too intense from a gore point of view or just, a, you know, uh, just, just an, an unpleasant viewing experience. But this film <laughs> is a, a giant juicy cheeseburger of a movie. <laughs> it really is. You just described why I don't want to watch horror films. <laughs> but it does look great. It looks thrilling. I mean, it is a giant juicy cheeseburger. I think it's interesting... That you mentioned the gore might be a slog to get through. Gore, by its very nature, the fact that we're not allowed to have stuff films, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing we're not allowed to have stuff films, but 
by its very nature, are visual effects. I would have thought watching a horror movie and as a visual effects supervisor, you'd be just spending the whole time being like, oh, I know how they, you'd be like that, that meme of that, the woman with all the maths equations around her head, just figuring out how that works. Is that like when you watch a horror film like this, do you spend the whole time being like, oh, I see how they did that. Oh, I wonder how they did that. Not really. I was too, I was too caught up in it. Like to to um to think about it. Like if I got bored, if I was definitely if I was bored, I'd start to kind of pick it apart, maybe mentally. But um no, I was too I was too gripped by it and just just the the sheer fucking bonkers kind of nature of it just kept me going the whole time. It it almost felt like, and you'll you'll see as we go. It for the first like ten minutes, I thought the first ten minutes was like a parody horror film. And then they were going to reveal the real horror film and be like, oh, yeah, we were all watching a horror film, but here's the real one. But it never happens. Like, it, it, it's almost too ridiculous. Now, the film was directed by James Wan, Yay Australia. I, like, this is one of those things where I'm sure it happens in law. It definitely happens in advertising. The Australian film industry isn't massive. Are you best friends with James Wan? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> Is that because you had a falling out? <laughs> Never met James Wan. I said it looks like a parody. As much as I enjoyed this film and as much as I think it's insane, it looks cheap as hell. It was made for 40 minutes. And I'm like, I don't Does make, it? I'm just, yeah, I think it looks very cheap. It looks like a TV show and not like a prestige HBO show. It looks like, you know, when like wow. Channel 10's like, by the way, we've got a cool new supernatural drama, but then it looks like it, it looks like Law and Order or something. Like it just doesn't <laughs> yeah, look okay. premium. Yeah. This whole film doesn't looks like a non-premium TV show. It costs $40 million to make. Will, where did, like there aren't any big stars in this film. Where do you think that $40 million went in this film? Work? There aren't even set, like it's set in like four places. There's no extras. Like, oh, I mean, there's the there's the there's the jail cell scene. Yeah. But like, what, where, where what would you charge to do the sequel? Well, I guess <laughs> there's. Well, you know, you got to you got to factor in all the money that went into the practical special effects, in camera special effects as well, which are pretty uh, extensive and impressive, I would say. But I, I wouldn't say that that's where the majority of the budget went. But um, uh. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is an interesting thing. So we've got practical special effects, and then you said in-camera special effects. Is that different to practical effects? Oh, no, I meant the same thing. It's just like like special effects that they're doing in-camera with the prosthetics and, and all that stuff. And oh. Yeah, because like, I, I, I did kind of look in, after I watched it, I looked into how it was all done because I... You know, there's parts of it where you go, oh, I'm not sure if that's practical or digital or if they're doing something digital to make it look practical or, or anything like that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, I, I guess I, I don't really want to sort of get into it yet because um, we haven't talked about the movie yet. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's hold that conversation. Is that, is that the highest praise, Will? Like, like there's this thing with freestyle rappers where, like, freestyle rappers in the 90s used to be like, I make everything up. But whenever anyone says I'm written, which is to say, you know, I pre-wrote my apparent freestyles, I take it as a huge compliment because it means my freestyles are so good. It's it's a dumb thing to say, but is it is it a is it a high compliment to your digital effects colleagues to say I couldn't see the seams between 
practical and digital effects. Is that itself a mark of achievement? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Like if you, to, to the, the work is good if it's well integrated and you, mm. you, you can't see the seams and, and it's kind of serving the story well and, it's, um, and it looks good. Um, yeah, so Shag, eat shit on your view of it being like a shit TV show. No, it looks, it still looks shit. Like the effects oh, okay. are great. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I just didn't think effects would cost $40 million. It's like, it's a lot of money. Yeah, I think films cost more than 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 we think in different areas, you know, like um, locations and uh, sets and design and, and everything everything else. It's not just high-paid actors that... Uh, and special effects that take up the budget. Our budget for charcuterie is four hundred grand, <laughs> and it's feeling slightly undercooked just at the moment. I'm starting to get nervous. Beach, <laughs> it's fine. We'll just we'll sort it out on the day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So let's begin this film. But one more thing, I want to say. Mm. It maybe has my favorite poster I've seen in years. It's mainly all black with the word malignant in red and the eye a large sort of dagger spike reaching its way down to the bottom of the poster where we see half of the main character, Madison, looking up and so the spike is almost reaching her eye. Now, this film has nothing to do with spikes in eyes, but it's still a pretty, pretty spooky poster and I love it for that. It's got a kind of an 80s vibe, right? Yes, hugely 80s vibe. I reckon the font, like, I'm not a designer and I work with a lot of designers who talk about fonts in the same way that Peach talks about cricket, in the same way that I talk about music, in that they have an emotional attachment to them. So I'm worried about saying anything about fonts by getting it wrong and being like, ugh, it's not even a serif font or whatever, right? Like, I don't know. But it I remember feels- someone was like, oh, some people think typography is just choosing fonts. And it's like, ugh, Typography is like a thousand different things, including but not limited to fonts. It's funny, it um, but, but yeah, yeah the, I reckon the font is definitely like an 80s, almost Stephen King-esque. Yeah, Stranger Things. It's yeah, very like, Stranger Things. Yeah, front, front of a horror novel sort of font. Anyway, all right, okay. Film starts in 1993 where Dr. Florence Weaver... Now, remember the names of these throwaway characters because they'll be important later on. Dr. Florence Weaver and her colleagues Victor Fields and John Gregory. It's hard to name characters and I don't think these are the best named characters ever. I think what you do is you piggyback on my job. Like every day there are legal cases handed down with real people's names in them. And I think that's what we'll do when we have to name people. We're, like, we're not going to sit here being like, oh, what about John Tomlinson? That's a good name. <laughs> we're just going to go through recent decisions, Shag, and we'll just, just say names to each just other. Could, like get a first name here, yep. a last name here. Yep. That's Addison what we'll do. here. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. All right. Okay, so these three doctors are treating a psychiatric patient named Gabriel at Simeon Research Hospital. Now, a lot of names, all of these names are important. Don't forget any of them. Fucking... Uh, turns out, well, it's hinted at that Gabriel has special powers, uh, which include, but not limited to, able mm. to control electricity, but in limited ways, because if you could totally control electricity, you'd just destroy the world. Uh, Gabriel can also broadcast his thoughts and words and speech via any radios or speakers or Bluetooth players or oh, any. God. any th- that's what he can do. Very special powers. <laughs> I don't know. And it doesn't, you know what? You know what the best thing is? Neither of those are scary powers. In fact, they're like shitty X-Men. I don't care. <laughs> this reminds me of, of the powers in Encanto. I'm not sure if you guys have seen oh, Encanto yeah. yet. 
but how like the mum's like I cook food that after I've cooked it and you eat it you feel better and it's like oh that's that's, like that's great like that is great sorry it's a very practical yeah (laughs) okay one night at this institution Gabriel turns violent and kills several staff members of the institution after Dr. Florence Weaver is about to operate on him. Now, we don't see him. We, we only see, like, shadows of him and the, the effects of him killing people from this room. And we hear Dr. Florence Weaver say, it's time to cut out this cancer. Film's called Malignant. Lots of references to things like that. Let's yep. go. I hope that's not, in fact, I hope that's not on... Yeah, it doesn't sound cool, does no, it? No, no. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's just, yeah, yeah. Look, look. This film doesn't treat illness, you know, chronic illness or wait, wait, mental wait, illness. wait, wait. Shag, are you say are you telling me <laughs> that, in, <laughs> that in the year twenty twenty one? Okay, all right. Twenty seven years later, Madison. So twenty seven years later, what's that? Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. So twenty seven years later in twenty twenty. Madison, like, although this is twenty, this must be twenty, this must be the first couple of months of twenty twenty, because there is no, no pandemic. pandemic. Yeah, there's no see. mention of Wuhan. There's no mention of COVID. This is placing us squarely in January, February. Okay, so Madison Lake is a pregnant woman living in Seattle who returns home to her abusive husband Derek. Is Mitchell. that name also important? Yeah, oh, Derek Mitchell. Oh, no, Madison Lake is super important. That's very okay, important. fuck. Yeah. So how many names? Can we just do a roll call? <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. The three doctors, Florence Weaver, Victor Fields, and John Gregory. The patient, Gabriel, own no last name, like Madonna. And Madison Lake. And Madison Lake. And the stuff happened at Simeon Research Hospital at the start. Don't forget Derek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Madison Lake returns home to her husband, Derek, who we know is abusive because, again, it's it's that problem with painting abusive characters as cartoon characters in the same way when you make Nazis cartoonishly bad, you take Mm. away from the real evil. So he's the sort of character that's like, hey, pregnant wife, I was trying to watch the game. I'm going to, like, push you down, but then I'll be all apologetic. Like, it's it feels cartoonish and in that way probably takes away and it's probably a little bit insensitive. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> and also this is this is a uh, you know a character who has had multiple miscarriages before, right? Oh shit. Um, and he and he has the all-time classic line of dialogue. How many times do I have to watch my children die inside of you? Yes! Yes, he says that! He says that! He says that! He actually says that! Oh my god! Now, now this whole this whole episode, I've been like, I really need to get Will to say a line of dialogue in the rooster's voice. But yes, I don't, do think, that's, the rooster no, voice, I don't think that's the line. Yeah, do that one, Will. I think that's too much. I think that is too much. Just wanting you to know, I almost went there and I didn't. I think you should be proud of me. All right, okay. So, so Derek, and again, like this is actually really fucked. And it's it's fucked that this is just a plot point in the film, but Derek smashes Madison's head against a wall, which which causes her to bleed at the point of impact, after which she locks herself in the bedroom and falls asleep. She later wakes up to find Derek's dead body after having had a dream of a man yes. entering the house. Now, the man is very creepy horror, like hands, like looks kind of like a marionette, wearing sort of a hood, long hair, actually looks like the drummer from Slipknot. 
<laughs> like that that is the bad guy. Picture the drummer from Slipknot doing like marionette moves and comes into the house, violently kills Derek. The killer who is still in the house attacks Madison, rendering her unconscious. The next morning, Madison wakes up in hospital and is informed by her sister Sydney that her unborn baby did not survive the attack. Now, this is this is my only issue with horror films. In fact, look, I have a few, but this is my main issue with horror films. Yep. That is one of the most traumatic things I've ever heard. A poor, like a, like a woman who has been trapped in an abusive relationship, has got, undergone several miscarriages, got to a, like a, you know, a quite progressed part in her pregnancy, lost the baby again to more spousal abuse. And this is a plot point to start revealing a bad guy. Uh, this is like, is this the degree of irresponsibility of your sort of exploitation revenge films of the 70s, 80s that... That, that you need to have an episode of sexual assault at the start in order to, yeah. In, in order to say that the bad guys mm. are bad and we can kill them. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. Whereas, I, yeah, anyway, anyway. Sorry to bring the mood Oof. down. All right, let's bring it back up. Okay. So All you right. should have seen Shane Warne, guys. He was, <laughs> he was really something. <laughs> so what were your thoughts when you first saw uh, this, this monster, this man, this killer, Will? Um... Well, I, 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 w- I guess I was kind of thinking that it was like the situation they were in was very tropey, but um, <laughs> but I was like, oh look, it's a dark, a, a dark room with a silhouette, kind of scary looking killer. <laughs> um, but um, I, I mean, not much has been revealed at this point, so I, I was kind of um, just fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but it's funny. It's funny how not much has been revealed. But the start of the film is like, watch out for Gabriel. He's a killer. But you're supposed to get to this scene and be like, I wonder who. Who's that? Yeah, <laughs> we had that Gabriel be a killer. No. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I guess there's no there's no link or connection to anything yet. So you're just like, I, I guess it's Gabriel. How is he even connected to Madison in any way, shape, or form? We have no clue. So after being interviewed by police detective Kikoa Shaw and his partner Mm. Regina Moss, Madison returns home. There, Madison reveals to Sydney that she was adopted at eight years old. That's the most also bonkers reveal of an adoption in in a movie that I've ever seen where somehow the sister didn't know she was adopted and then she just throws it away like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, by the way, I was like, I was adopted, and the sister's just like, eh? <laughs> actually, everyone's reactions to everything in this film are kind of insane. So, if the, if they had a higher budget, do you reckon they could have got better actors if they had more money? <laughs> I mean, everybody acts as hammy as I guess you should in this film. It it is weird. The whole film is just straight. You're right. Like none of the behavior feels real and like not even horror film like don't run back into the house sort of way but in a like care that your sister was adopted sort of way anyway (laughs) just just honest emotional reactions to be not happening (laughs) all right okay so later we cut to remember we're in seattle we cut to a tour guide doing a tour of Seattle Underground. I didn't know this. I don't know if this... I assume it's true because it's in the film. Yeah, apparently this is real. So so Seattle is actually built on another Seattle. So there's an underground Seattle that the, the city as we know it now is built on top of. So if you go under the streets of Seattle, there are all these old-timey streets with like shoe shine stops and 
like what ye olde pubs and shit. What, How what are you that? talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> but this is in this film, and this woman is giving. Why a is there a gap? Like so, so this like why is the, what? What are you talking the about? World, like this, the world is fucking crazy. Anyway, so the, this there's a woman giving a tour of it. The tour the tour leaves. She hears something weird, and then the killer kidnaps this woman. And then Madison has another vision this time of the killer murdering Dr. Weaver, the doctor from the beginning. Now, what's important this time that's not mentioned in this Wikipedia is Dr. Weaver has some sort of award for, like, being a really good doctor. Which, this is also uh, not very realistic, I'm, I'm guessing. Like, do they do they give out just awards for being a good doctor? <laughs> for achievement in medicine. <laughs> it's, it's like, even, if, like, the, the statue is, like, you know the two wings and the two snakes intertwined? You know that symbol? Mm. It's just that inverted on a plinth. So it's like you just, like it's literally you won the doctor trophy. Well done. Con- con- congrats on all your medical practice. <laughs> Good doctoring. <laughs> yeah, you won the doctors. <laughs> Do you reckon they get to put like a rocket ship emoji in their LinkedIn like headline or something when you get that? <laughs> okay, all right. So anyway, so Dr. Weaver has one of these at her house. The killer takes it stabs her with it and then takes it back to his lair wherever it is and uses it to fashion into a blade which becomes his weapon again none of this is scary or interesting or good like all of this is so like what the fuck are we seeing this the sort of marionette style physicality are we sort of freaked out by that yeah we are seeing that and it's like look it's kind of it's as freaky as and in hindsight Marilyn Manson is a horrible fucking person. So going back and watching any of his video clips now is like horrifying. But it's as scary as like a 1994 industrial scary Nine Inch Nails Marilyn Manson film. Like that's the level of scariness for the first half of this film. First half of this film, I was like, oh, like whatever. And then the second half of the film, everything changes. And it's like your entire existence is different after you see the second half of this film. Sick. All right. So during their investigation, our detectives discover a photo of Madison as a child in Weaver's house. And they're like, that's a bit weird. And they learned that Weaver specialized in child reconstructive surgery. Again, Uh, all the pieces are coming together. Child reconstructive surgery. It's it's an important part of medicine. We've got, we've got all these we've got all these bits of children. <laughs> it's like Doctor Frankenstein. To <laughs> God. Uh, okay, so Madison and her sister approach the police after Madison has another vision. This time of the killer murdering Doctor Fields. Now, I guess the other thing is, it's like all of these murders before the halfway point of the film, to me, weren't actually that interesting, and especially. Now that he's murdering people with a trophy, I'm just like, it is like an episode of Law and Order. Like it's basically okay. like it's 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 silly, but it's not especially scary. It's not especially like disturbing or anything. So it's an X Files episode sort of level. Are we... It's an X Files episode, okay. or you know, bringing this to it's an it's an episode of Evil. Like it's it's that level of like wacky campiness. Well, but also people are getting stabbed in the face as well, and you you kind of see it, which yeah. You know, that's that's the sort of thing that just makes me just die inside. Yeah, that's right. And, you, and I'm so sorry for that. Um, and I'm really excited to hear what you think about the jail cell scene later on. But uh, let's let's keep moving through. So uh, 
They approach the police after Madison has another vision, this time of the killer murdering Dr. Fields. The killer contacts Madison via her mobile phone and reveals himself to be Gabriel, which is just like, yes, we He's knew like, yeah, you were Gabriel. Him. Yeah, but we saw you. The, like, we saw a scene from 1993. So the film. Now, Madison realizes that Gabriel was not her imaginary friend, but someone real to whom she spoke during her childhood. Shaw finds a link between the doctors and Madison, which leads him to discover Dr. Gregory's dead body. When do the names become important, by the way? Can I, can I, can I lose those? Yeah, so Dr. Gregory, Dr. Field and Dr. Weaver, they were all the doctors from the start who were operating in, on Gabriel and trying to remove the cancer. But do their names form an acronym that is Simeon and that's important <laughs> or something? Like, are we, like I'm trying to, like, why am I holding on to these names? <laughs> now, the detectives enlist the help of a psychiatric hypnotherapist hoping to unlock Madison's memory. Madison recalls that her birth name is actually Emily May and that Gabriel wanted her to kill her unborn sister. So a lot of the film is told through, like at this point, we see a lot of the film through flashbacks. Some of these are extremely cheap where it's just interviews of people in a psychiatric hospital speaking to camera. So it's either Dr. Weaver being like, oh, we've got a new patient in Emily May or it's Madison as Emily May as an eight-year-old being like, Gabriel talks to me sort of thing. And like, this is a large portion of the flashbacks. But there's also another flashback where we see Madison as eight-year-old Emily May and we hear that Gabriel asks her to do something special for her mom, go to the kitchen and cut cut her a piece of cake. She holds the knife over the cake, but then the whole scene changes to reveal that she's actually standing over her mother with her unborn sister in the belly. And the mother wakes up and screams and she screams. And that's her memory when it's like, oh my God, okay, no, I remember this. Gabriel actually tried to get me to kill my unborn sister. Who's the sister that's alive right now? Are, are you following all of this? Oh, yeah, this is really intense. That's like the first time that she remembers ever having sort of one of those flash, like well, the, one of those times when Gabriel would sort of take over. Yeah, so so yeah, keep in mind, whenever she has these visions of these deaths, that's the same thing. It's almost like the whole world collapses and then rebuilds as whatever she's seeing. Like she has Yeah, like visions. eternal sunshine of the which, spotless which mind. Which is a pretty style. sick visual effect, by the way. That's where the money goes. <laughs> these visions, that's bloody where it goes. Okay. Now she came close to doing it but was able to stop herself. Now the police now arrest Madison. When okay, so this is this is all this is a cool twist, right? So remember how the killer kidnapped a woman who was giving tours of underground Seattle, and then yeah. I, I like took her back to like a weird looking base that's his like evil base. Yeah. This woman crashes through the roof while they're having this hypnotherapist, which means the killer's base was in the attic of Madison's house the whole time, and that's not even the big twist. That's just this weird little twist that's uh, like, uh, what the fuck? That is sick. <laughs> It's also the largest attic of what I've ever seen. It's oh like my a God. warehouse. Yeah, it's, it's so good. <laughs> so this happens. That's where the money went. <laughs> <laughs> so the police arrest Madison when this kidnapped woman falls from the attic in her home, revealing that Gabrielle was living inside her house. The, wait, 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 get this. The woman is Serena May, Madison's birth mother. Yes, that's right. She's adopted, as we found. Now, in the now she was adopted. Now, this, again, this is so fucked. Okay, 
what they describe is Serena May was 15. She was sexually assaulted mm. and ended up carrying the baby. The rapist. Uh, and mm. ended up carrying the rapist baby. But her parents were super religious and so she had to give it up. And so she gave it up to this Simeon home. And that's why Madison was adopted. So, yeah. And she thought her mum was dead, but it turns out her mum was alive and kidnapped and in the attic. Because I think they, they told her that she was dead, didn't they? So, so sad. Sydney visits the now-abandoned Simeon Hospital and finds... Wait for it. Okay, so wait, wait. And finds from watching home movies... Yes. ...that Gabriel is Emily's twin brother who lives within her body as an extreme version of a parasitic twin sharing the same brain and spinal cord as Emily. Now, what, during what, Emily's how, childhood... How does she learn that by home video? Wait, okay, wait, yeah, yeah. wait, wait. So, and this is the best special effect I've seen in a long time and it will never leave my brain. It has, like, it has changed the pathways in my brain and it will appear in my dreams forevermore. So when Emily was a kid... Gabriel appeared as a half-formed child facing out of Emily's back, being with like long fingers and a sort of alien head, sort of being like, so, so the camera, it's like a home video and it's like, okay, let's go visit Gabriel. The camera pans around normal Emily and all of a sudden there's Gabriel and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, sick and horrific and amazing. Yeah, yeah. Will, tell me, when you saw this, what 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 was going through your brain? <laughs> oh, it's real. Oh my god! Oh, so sorry. I'm... I thought you were saying that this. That's why I was like, "Will, what the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> so, so would they have had like a remote control or something in there operating the arm? Yeah, like little animatronics, like just controlling the arms and stuff, going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get this guy a voice acting gig, someone. <laughs> All right, so. Weaver operated on Emily and was able to remove all of the tumour except for the brain. He was dormant after her childhood but woke up when Derek hit her against the wall. Yeah, okay, the exciting incident at the start of the film. Yeah, yeah. Now, now wait for it. Gabriel's face now emerges from the back of Madison's skull and operates her body backwards when he takes control, which is why he acts like a marionette. He is backwards Madison... And he has the ability to break all of her, like, bones. So he can, like, be super, like, he's also, oh. like, super strong. And, so, like, he can le- he's basically Spider-Man. And now, because we can see his face, we see that his face is basically, like, two eyeballs on a brain. It's disgusting. It's, it's incredible. Like, the, the image of, like, the back of, of Madison's skull kind of opening out, like, the skin of it kind of opening like a giant flap with a, with a, with a brain face coming out of it. Um, Should I beat- Google this now? Should I just Pete, can you just Google what Gabriel Milligan looks like, please? It's it's unbelievable. And then the cool, like, oh god, it's it's cool is maybe not the right word, but when we actually realize who Gabriel is, and you get to see Gabriel walking around in person, you see from behind it's Madison, and it's Matt. Like you see Madison sort of like 
in it like entranced face as Gabriel's walking around. Because it turns out, and we find this out later, I don't know if it's in the Wikipedia synopsis, but because they share the same brain, he's able to make Madison think she's just going about her normal life when he takes control. So he's able to make her think that she's just in her bed or hanging out or going for a walk. And then these moments where the killings happen are just visions in her brain. But actually, that's what's really happening. Oh, it's, yeah, this weird backwards. So I've been taken to a gif of like weird backwards walking. Yeah, okay, which I don't think we've got to yet. Hang on. I can't find an image of it. Fuck. Well, in 2018, what are we talking about? Oh, and something it's, it's mentioned here that is mentioned earlier in the film when they're trying to investigate who did it. There were heaps of upside-down fingerprints at the crime scenes and the cops were just stumped. They were like, what? Upside-down fingerprints? That's not the normal way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to have to search this afterwards. But, yeah, I'm sort of getting grainy stuff. But I'm really excited. Yeah, okay, right. okay. Cool, okay. cool, cool. All right. <clears throat> Now, remember, she's been arrested, right? So while Sydney, her sister, is finding all this out by watching tapes at Simeon, uh, you know, child psycho- psychology, <laughs> constructive surgery, yeah. hospital, or whatever it is. <laughs> we were hanging all around in the lab one night. Now, Madison is in jail. And there's this weird implication that, I like I, I, it doesn't seem to come up at all until now, but she does live in a pretty nice house. So I mm. guess she is upper class. So when she's in jail, she's antagonized by the people in there, including this one woman who I don't know if you know the Australian band Amel and the Sniffers, but they're the sort of they're an amazing band. Hertz is one of my favorite songs of last year. They they have a style that sort of emulates, I guess, eighties pub rock. I only know Amel and the Sniffers from your playlist. I'm okay, like, right. why do I know that? I'm like, oh, yeah, Shakespeare's playlist. So, they, so, so the, the way they sort of dress, and it's a very common thing in like Melbourne rock bands is emulating sort of like 80s slash 90s, you know, Australian rock, one of which is having like a strong mullet. And so this woman is wearing like a, a, a like a denim jacket. She's got a mullet. Would be super cool in Melbourne, but here is like like a rough and tough, like, what are you looking at? Sort of like, <laughs> hey, you know, what you? So That's one like, of our American listeners there, Shaggy. <laughs> like, you guys are all, you guys see people like this every day. <laughs> and so she's like, and so this, this woman sees Madison and she's like, what? You, uh, you know, I'm not going to put on the voice, but she's like, did you escape the country club? And Madison's like, uh, leave me alone. <laughs> and then they, they almost try to pick a fight with her. And that's when all of a sudden, Gabriel takes over and for the first time we actually see the transformation. So it's like all of her bones snap, her face goes like her eyes glaze over, her face goes up, the hair parts at the back, the skull flaps come open. (laughs) Out comes Gabriel's brain face. And then this is really weird, right? Because it's like a kung fu action scene in that Gabriel then just beats the shit out of everyone in this jail. But not only that, kills them by like stomping on heads breaking bones through legs like proper graphic there's a shot where she she pushes her arm through the body of another person and it pops, <laughs> and it pops out the other side it's, it's it's really really full-on she manages to break out but like you know all these cops come along to be like what's the commotion manages to break out 
Then there's this scene in the police station that's basically the Matrix. And this is a side note. So I recently rewatched the first Matrix and there's that scene in the bank that I think at the time we were like, this is the coolest thing ever, where they show up with bags of guns and just like shoot up the place. I watch that now and I see two skinny people wearing trench coats and sunglasses, carrying semi-automatic rifles into a busy place of work. And it just looks like every mass shooting and every school shooting. It's weird. It's like, I used to think this was like the coolest scene ever. Now it just makes me feel really uneasy and gross. Anyway, this scene feels like the Matrix, but also gives me that weird uneasy feeling. Yeah, like when something becomes so accidentally iconic, like just the very concept, yeah, I get it. Anyway, so Gabriel provoked, so this is the Wikipedia description of it. Gabriel provoked by fellow inmates in the lockup. Takes full control of Madison's body. Well, yeah, Wikipedia drafter Gabriel wasn't provoked. No one's like, oh, Gabriel, like down at the country club. <laughs> <laughs> He's very protective of his sister. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's my sister here. Well, he actually is, and this gets revealed, right? Slaughters them in almost the entire precinct with superhuman strength and agility and eventually leaves. Superhuman strength is like is kind of explained because... Gabriel can surpass all the blockers in the brain so he can use the brain to its full potential. Somehow he he seems to know kind of um, jiu-jitsu and martial arts. And, <laughs> that's, and that's the other thing. When, when Madison doesn't seem to, to, to do anything besides kind of collect the laundry or um, get the shopping. And, and and his eyes work is an, also an amazing thing. Like you know, if you've been driving through a tunnel and you you know, or you've had your eyes closed for a while and opened them up, you've taken time, time to adjust. He's ready to go straight away. <laughs> All right. Okay. So Sydney and Shaw intercept him at the hospital where Serena is recovering from her captivity. The duo are attacked by Gabriel. Sydney informs Madison that Gabriel is the cause of her miscarriages. Because he was feeding off her fetuses. He was building himself up, ready, like just waiting for his moment. Oh, stem cells. Like he's like harvesting stem cells from inside his sister's body to get ready to fight some people in prison. That's yes. pretty intense. Now, angry at the revelation, Madison wakes up and takes back control of her body and transport both Gabriel and herself to a black mindscape prison where she locks Gabriel behind bars and Gabriel's like, I will escape. And Gabriel has the lamest voice. He's got the, the voice you absolutely expect a, a horror villain to have though, right? Hey, we have a genuine voice actor on the pod. Yes. Can you give us your impression of Gabriel's voice? Um, what's, what's the line he says? Like, Fucking hell, I want to fight some people in the prison. Fucking hell, I want to fight some people in the prison. He sounds, but he sounds like a, like, you know, you've seen Venom, right? Like he sounds oh, like he a, sounds like Venom. he sort of sounds like a more serious Venom in a way. I think. I, surely there are more options. Like, Will, as you rightly say, he sounds exactly like you'd sound like. Uh, but, like, there's, there's kind of two options for these horror villains, isn't there? There's, like, the, like, go with the voice like this. Or, or there's, like, um, the ironic sort of cutesy, sort of but, but scary voice, like a Chucky or something like that. Like, yeah. hi, I'm Chucky. Want to play? Or, or something, like, doing that sort of ironic, like, 
uh, like I'm going to sound like very, very, very cute, but but incredibly menacing. But this is like. <laughs> Let the bodies hit the floor. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is where it gets a bit confusing, right? So now remember, Sydney and Shaw intercept him at the hospital where Serena is recovering from her captivity. But she is him. They 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 have a fight. She traps him, and then she wakes back up in the hospital where. She hugs Sydney, who is being pinned to the wall by a bed. So, was Sydney in hospital? Because Serena wasn't in hospital. Serena was in. She 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 was in hospital. The mother. Oh, the mother was in hospital. Yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. This is why I was so confused. Because okay, so honestly, the actors playing Serena and Madison are basically the same age. And it's impossible to tell them apart. (laughs) So so I got to that end bit being like, why? How does this anyway? Okay, sorry. Because I think think what happened was when the mum fell through the ceiling of the the attic, that's when she got taken to hospital and then she was in a coma. And then they were on this kind of mission to get to to her um, for some reason. That's right. Yeah, no, no, they were. Because the whole thing was, now Gabriel was like, I'm going to kill your sister because you love her more than me. And I'm your real brother, and I'm going to kill our mum because ah. Uh... Oh, and, and, and conveniently, he kidnapped the mum, but he was like, "I'm saving you for last." <laughs> That's right. That's right. He was like, "I want you to know what a monster you made." It's all like everything about this movie sucks, but the twist is so amazing that everything rises up because of it. Amazing. All right, so. Back in the hospital and in full control of her body, Madison lifts the hospital bed, pinning Sydney to the wall. The pair hug as Madison affirms that even though she was adopted and is not related by blood, she will always love her as a sister. So all of the things that have just happened, the thing that's most important right now Amazing. is to be like, you know, Sisters. I was adopted, but you're my true sister. <laughs> yeah. It's the same message as Fast and Furious, really. Like family. Family. It's what it all comes, to, comes back to. As the two embrace, Serena looks on happily with the electric humming that accompanied Gabrielle's attacks faintly rising back to the in the soundtrack. Oh yeah, because in the in the in the mind jail, he he's like, I will get out, and you won't be able to stop me. Fucking <laughs> 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 Um, Pete uh, Malignant, what did you think? Sounds awesome to me. Like I loved Will's line about it being a juicy cheeseburger. So, like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. It, like you, you know, working through it, and the sort of. It strikes me, Gabriel strikes me as sort of the villain you half root for, like your sort of Freddy-ish type of like, ooh, we're about to see Gabriel, like really kill some people. It's going to be sick. He's going to put put his arm through some people using his brain powers. The really fun stuff is when you see him just like running backwards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Now, is that CGI or is that someone doing it? That's, that's a combination of, um, they got a, con- a real contortionist. Who, who can kind of turn their limbs backwards and, and fold themselves in half and stuff to to do a lot of it. And then there's a bunch of stuff where, like, you know, this, this scene where they where Gabriel jumps out the fire escape and kind of, like, flips down all the different staircases and stuff? Yeah. That's like a real stunt person and then they replace their legs with digital legs that are backwards. It is oh, just the most insane film 
ever. And it's just all the better for it. This podcast is all about getting you, Peach, and you <clears> listening potentially over a fear of scary movies and to the point where you actually want to watch them. <clears> Will, I love that at the start you said this is the sort of movie that makes you may potentially change your mind on horror films. Has it? Is you know, has it had that effect? Like, does it make you want to see more? It it makes me want to see more movies like this because um, I found this just super fun because it's so corny and cheesy and uh, and everything. I, I guess the horror films I'm kind of nervous about watching are like the Hereditaries or um, uh, Midsommars or, or, or movies like that <clears throat> where I just feel like I, I'm, I'm scared of, of just feeling that sense of existential dread. Psychic damage. Yeah, you've got to manage that, that damage to your psyche. Mm. I've watched the kill count for Hereditary <laughs> Will and, I, and, I'm, and I'm happy to brag about it uh, to anyone who'll listen. So you'll survive, will you? We fight you oh, thanks, Peach. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could watch this movie, though, Peach. This Do you reckon? Go. Yeah. You could watch it, I reckon. Like the spindly wandering around the house, like it actually strikes me as the early bits that for you guys would be quite tropey of like, yeah, yeah, horror films, whatever, for me would be like, oh, shit, there's someone in the house kind of thing. The gore in this film is full on. There's some gore that I will never get over. Like seeing Gabriel punch his hand through someone, I was a bit like, no, it's pretty gross, but I can never get over a head being crushed. That is the effect I don't enjoy. That was intense. I mean, it's a quick shot, but you still see the entire head get crushed and, and a lot of goo comes out. So. Hey, hey, Will, I've got to ask because I've always wanted to know this mm. and I know you do digital effects, but mm. if someone asks you to do a head being crushed, how would you approach that? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd probably want to shoot, like do like what they did in this movie and shoot something for real. Like that was a real practical thing that they did um, where they had a prop that, that like... It depends on what you want to see. Like, do you want the graphic brain blood kind of squirt? Kind of how do you, how would you like your head to explode? Uh, well, you're a consummate professional. I love it. Yeah, like, look, I, I want to make it look the way I'm briefed to make it look. So, well, so, but are you saying that they created like a prop that was like a head with a skull and a brain inside, and then they just crushed it? That's apparently what they did. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, like we we do right by um we do right by our friends here at Spooker. We shout out Reshes all the time. You know, they sent us a case of beer a year and a half ago and we're still advertising for them. Um we want to make sure you've you've been kind enough to share your knowledge here. So look, Shag and I know a little bit about marketing, you know, using using content and this is a piece of content now. So, you know, industrial light and magic, if people want to work with you, like it's a, it, look, it's a small <laughs> studio, but they're yeah. doing some good stuff. Look, yeah. they're up, they're up and coming. You know, they they got a few a few titles under their belt, but yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully they'll 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 get some breaks. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for finding a slot for us to chat tonight. Thank um, you. It's it was so awesome to, to talk about this movie with you guys, and thanks for for um for asking me to do it because um, I, I probably wouldn't have watched this movie otherwise. Like I typically am very much more the Wikipedia reading uh person uh of the synopses and like like i did that for hereditary and i thought no thank you (laughs) absolutely not um and uh but i i i actually saved myself for this and i'm uh although i had heard about it but um i'm really glad that i did because um it was really fun to watch and fun to talk about the podcast works the pod works well thank you so much it was worth 40 million bucks just to get you here (laughs) well
Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?